Well, friends, let me invite, invite you to open up your Bibles now as we are looking at Haggai chapter 2. Uh, we are in the midst of a very short uh, sermon series uh, where we are looking at the book of Haggai. And this book takes place during a, the historical time of Israel when they are returning back to their homeland from their time in exile, a time of captivity. And so as they have been returning home, they have been focused on rebuilding, of rebuilding their homes. And so they're putting their priorities into their homes and neglecting rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And the prophet's words earlier in Haggai 1 is that they're working hard, they're earning a paycheck, but they are not having any savings. They're sowing seeds to plant crops, but they're not having any harvest. And so this is a book that makes us think about what's going on in our lives. Specifically, what are we building our life on? Are we trying to live life where we are centered on God or are we enjoying living life when, with God's absence? So that's what Haggai is getting at. And so today we're continuing this, looking at Haggai chapter 2. Verses 10 through 19, and we'll, as uh, Marcus shared in his prayer, that we'll be out next week. Um, Josh Olson is preaching for us as uh, we'll be in Cleveland or coming home from Cleveland on Saturday from, from a family funeral. So we'll be picking up Haggai in two weeks' time to wrap up this whole book. But here's Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. You can follow along in your worship guide or on the wall behind me or in your own scriptures. So Haggai 2, 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If anyone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with the his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we pray now for your blessing. As we have heard your word, Father, we pray that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts to understand, that you would reveal yourself to us. And so, Father, we pray for your spirit to follow your word as you give us this promise that your word will not return empty. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 
I grew up next to a house, and as I would look at th- through our, one of our windows, I would see the foundation of this house, and it was exposed above the ground. And when the foundation is laid, just in general, if it's cement, you want to see this solid, continuous uh, foundation. But if, in the case of having stone, you'd want to see the stone being tightly compacted, not loose. You'd want to see the mortar filling in between the gaps. But in this particular house that I grew up next to, you would actually see in this exposed foundation, you would see a massive crack that was there in the foundation. And for those of you who are contractors or you know construction, you would actually know what would end up happening. That eventually you would actually see the house beginning to drift and separate apart. And it was all because of the poor foundation. This is a passage that is all about the foundation of our lives. What is it that you are standing on? Here are the Israelites in our passage for us, and they are actually trying to live their life separate from God. They are happily content with God's absence. But as we read in this passage, that even they were experiencing Significant suffering as they are absent from God. That they're going to the storehouse and they're looking at their harvest. Instead of finding 20 things, they're finding 10 things. See, the Israelites are trying to live life without God. And so they're actually experiencing all the covenantal curses that God promised to Israel. That what would happen if they tried to live life without him. They're experiencing drought and famine. They're experiencing so much more from the shame and isolation and more. And so here's Haggai who is speaking to God's people. And God is actually pursuing God's, these Israelites through his prophet Haggai. And the point that Haggai is saying is that we can only have blessing, that we can only thrive and we can only flourish when we found are living our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That we can only have these promised blessings that God gives us when Jesus is at the center of our life. And so in terms of an outline for our time today, I know in, this, in your worship guide it says contagious, blessing, uh, contagious holiness, but the, the topic, the title for today's sermon is Contagious Blessings. And so the first thing we want to consider is actually the contagiousness of sin, The next thing after that is going to be talking about some dates, and then we'll end with the contagiousness of blessing. Let's first think about the contagiousness of sin. And here we see some of the historical context. That immediately, that here's a question, that here Haggai is actually speaking to the priests of Israel. In the previous prophecies and oracles that Haggai brought to the the Israelites, the first was to Zerubbabel, then to Joshua, and now he's speaking to the priests. And he's telling and and he's talking about the priests and he's speaking to the people this. Ask, verse 11, ask the priests about the law. So immediately what we're seeing is that, that... Haggai is telling the people to seek the priest's legal opinion on the law. And so here we find the priests, and the priests within the Old Testament, they represented the people of God to God. They also represented God to his people, and they had many responsibilities as a part of that. They would lead worship. 
They would be participating in caring for the temple. They would be offering sacrifices, praying for God's people. But they're also the teachers and interpreters of God's law. And Haggai is now speaking to these priests, and he's coming to them for their opinion on God's law. Are they, and this is, he's trying to get at a certain question. Are they able to properly discern God's law? And so as we think further about priests in the Old Testament and pastors in the New Testament, there is an authoritative ministry that they have. And that authoritative ministry is getting at this question of what does God's word say? And that's the key thing for these Israelite priests to be able to do. And so this is a question that Haggai poses to them is that is this, that when someone carries, verse 12, holy meat in the fold of his garment. This is a picture of meat that's been in some way or shape or form been part of a sacrifice. And so, and so is, here's this consecrated meat being carried in the fold of the garment. It's like a pocket. Is that going to make the, anything else clean and consecrated? And so here's the thing that what Haggai is getting at here. He, he is trying to, he's trying to have an answer. Are they, these priests able to properly discern God's law? This is very significant because this is actually what we read in Ezekiel 22, 26 through 27. And the reason why this is significant is that in this chapter of Ezekiel 22, that is actually where God says, here are the reasons. Here's a list of reasons as to why you're going into captivity, as to why you're going into exile and will experience my curse. And this is what Ezekiel 22, 26 through 27 says. The priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common. And they do not explain the difference between the clean, the clean and the unclean. They are like wolves. See, the priest's failure to accurately teach God's law or to discern God's law for his people is one of the reasons why Israel went off into captivity. That's one of the reasons why they went off into exile. And so Haggai is trying to assess and discern whether or not they are able to accurately teach God's word. He's trying to see if they are being faithful to God. And so he's telling people to go to their priest and seek their legal opinion. Are they going to be the priests that are like the ones that Ezekiel condemned? Or are they going to be a priest, as Jeremiah put it, after God's own hearts? So that's the question that's being asked. But there's a, there's a certain reason behind this question. It's a very straightforward question that Haggai, Haggai is asking. If that you're carrying consecrated meat in the fold of your garment, in the corner of your garment, does it make other things holy? The answer is no. Well, what if an unclean person touches something? Does that make those things unclean and defiled? And the answer is yes. To kind of give some more of the specifics here, this is not this particular situation that Haggai is giving us is a fellowship offering. It's different from sin offerings and guilt offerings because with a fellowship offering, the person who's making the sacrifice would actually be given meat back to take it back home and to eat it at a later date and celebrate with his 
family. And so this meat would not make the garment or anything else holy, but going to this the second question, if an unclean person would touch something, would that something become unclean? And the answer to that is yes. When there would be direct contact between the holy and the defiled, it's the defiled, it's the unclean thing that pollutes the holy rather than the holy thing purifying the unclean. And this is what Haggai makes very clear for us. He's not interested in an abstract debate. He is actually providing an indictment against Israel. And the priests are actually the ones, to use their words, the priests are the ones who actually stated the reasons to continue. In verse 14, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so it is with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So here are the Israelites and everything they are touching is actually not holy. Everything that the Israelites are touching is actually defiled. It's unclean. That includes their sacrifices, their worship, their prayers, their offerings, and more. And what we are getting at here is the contagiousness of sin or the pollution of sin. That sin in our lives, the sin in our lives pollutes everything and it is quite toxic. Consider this. Sushi. And sushi is cured fish that has been seasoned with vinegar and rice. Perhaps many of you like it. It's a delicacy. And there are some particular fish, actually one very particular fish, that depending on how it is made into sushi, it can actually kill you. Because the, the fish will release a toxin to scare off predators. And in fact, to cook this type of fish to make this type of fish into sushi, you have to be licensed by a certain culinary board. But this toxin has the power to kill 120 people. So if I, for example, who have never been to culinary school, you, I have never taken a class a day of my life on making sushi, and I invite you over to my house to have sushi, and we're not just having salmon, we're going to have this type of fish, would any of you eat that type of fish? No, sir, is the answer. See, this is actually what we're getting at. That sin pollutes everything it touches. What we read in Scripture is, is something just as heavy as that. That all our good deeds, all our good works, all our positive moral things are like filthy rags. And so here we are this morning, and this is actually why our good deeds cannot save us. Our morality cannot save us. Our religious adherence cannot save us. In fact, the Apostle James said this, is that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask to spend it on your passions. James's point is that even our sin taints our prayers. Our sinful desires pollute our prayers. This is the picture of what Haggai is getting at here, is that sin is contagious. It touches everything around us. It's, it pollutes everything around us. And so we need to recognize, like the Israelites, that we need to repent of all the things that we have done wrong. We need to confess and repent those things that we have done wrong, things that we have overlooked. 
But we also need to repent for the good things that we have done for the wrong reasons. We need to repent for doing the good things for the wrong reasons. This is a point Tim Keller makes in his book, The Prodigal God. To truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. We repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. We must learn how to repent for the motivations underneath our sin and our righteousness, which is the sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. It is only when you see the desire to be your own Savior and Lord, even in your own religiosity, that you are on the verge of understanding the gospel and becoming a Christian indeed. When you realize that the antidote to being bad is not just being good, you are on the brink. That's what Keller is saying. Is that here we are. We need to acknowledge that and see the ways that our sin pollutes everything in our lives. And so this raises the question, if sin pollutes everything, if sin is that contagious, how in the world are we going to change? How in the world are we going to have hope? This brings us to the second point. And this is actually where I want to talk about some dates. As I've mentioned over the past two weeks, Haggai is fixated with dates. And here we actually have a date that is given for us. It's mentioned three times. It has no natural significance. It's not on the Jewish calendar. It's not a holiday like the Feast of Tabernacles that we considered last week. But it is the most important date that's given to us here in this book. It's, like I said, it's repeated three times in verse 10, verse 18, and verse 20. And Hebrews, in their writing, if they wanted to get your attention, they would repeat things. Like they wouldn't not be, put things in bold. They would not put things in italics. They would not put it in all caps where you might feel like you're being yelled at. What a Hebrew would say is they would repeat it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty is what Isaiah says. But here we have a date that's given for us three times. And this is a day that where you're, if you're thinking about this date, what in the world does this mean? But in this book of Haggai, this is a date that marks a significant change for God's people. That no longer are they going to live under the curse of God. They're going to live under the blessing of God. But what is so important about this date? What happened on this date? What happened on this date it was when the temple's foundation was relayed. It was when the temple's foundation was relayed. Everything changes for them when they lay the foundation of the temple. And it's been three months since the beginning of Haggai's ministry. And so where this goes for us as Christians is that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. If you're following along in an outline, there's the answer to the dates. Why is it so important? Is that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. Now, friends, this morning, what are you standing on? What are you building your life on? If you're building a house, what are you building that house on? And there, there, Jesus makes this very clear and explicit that there's a parable in the New Testament. That in this a parable is a story. And in this story, there is a builder who builds a house 
but this house is built on the beach, upon the sands. And there's another builder who builds his house further away from the beach, further away from the sand, where it is solid ground. And then a storm comes, and the storm completely demolishes the house that's built on the beach. But the house that's built further up on solid ground is still standing. See, friends, as I said at the very beginning of the introduction, the foundation of a house determines whether or not the house will stand or if it will, or if it will fall. So when you buy a house, an inspector will come to your house looking at your basement walls. If there's a crawl space, they'll, if they're a good inspector, they'll crawl under the crawl space and look at the foundation to let you know if there are significant things to repair. But Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. That Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 says this about Jesus being our cornerstone and the foundation of our faith. That we, as God's people, we are the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, and we are growing into a holy temple of the Lord. See, friends, Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life, and this is significant, that Jesus is your righteousness, That as Jesus is your righteousness, he gives you a new reputation. He makes you friends with his children. That he shares an imperishable, unending inheritance with you. Because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That he is the one who has saved you from the penalty of sin. And he is saving you from the power of sin in your life today. And one day, he will save you from the presence of sin in your life and throughout all the world's. That one theologian said this, that without Christ, Christianity is an impossibility. That without Christ, Christianity is an impossibility. To press that even further, that Christianity means we are following Jesus Christ because he is the object of our salvation. He is the one in whom we place our trust and our hope in. And so an abstract Christianity where Christ is not the cornerstone or foundation in our life means that there's no grace, there's no love, there's no forgiveness. It would be meaningless. That Christianity without Christ deserves to be in the garbage. That Christ is our hope. That there's no power, there's no blessing to our faith because Christ would not be at the center of it. And so the picture is startling for us. That Haggai, he's, again, one of the prophetic quirks. He's fixating on this day, on dates within his book. And by by repeating it three times, he wants us to focus on this day, to see that a new day has come for God's people. A new day has come for God's people. Just as reestablishing the temple was an essential and critical turning point for God's people coming back from exile, so the coming of Christ, the definitive temple of God, is the radical turning point for us. That no longer are we under the curse of sin and the pollution of sin, but now because of Christ, we're under the blessing of God. Now because of Christ, we're under the blessing of God. And this brings us to our third and final point, the contagiousness of blessing. See, friends, Jesus turns curses to blessing. He turns curses to blessing. And we sing about this. We sing about this. 
a lot. Consider the well-known and popular song. It's, we sing it at Christmas, but it's really an Easter song, Joy to the World. Think about the lyrics. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as what? The curse is found. As far as the curse is found. As far as our power as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Friends, if you think about the curse for a moment, the pollution of sin, everything is touched and toxic and polluted and defiled by sin. And what does Christ do? He comes to make blessings flow to everywhere sin has been and will ever be. And he is going to make blessings flow. See, friends, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to receive blessing from God. To receive Jesus is to be reborn as a child of God, is what the Apostle John tells us. That we have been adopted by him. And to be united to him is to be holy. It is to be blameless. And it is even through Jesus that we have redemption through his blood. That we have the forgiveness of our sins. That we have been to use that word of redemption, that we have been bought back from the kingdom of darkness and we have been transferred and given into the kingdom of lights, that we have been rescued from our sin. And so Jesus, because of Jesus, we even have the mysteries of God that have been unknown until he has come, that he has given us his word, he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we would know him more fully in our everyday lives. That even because of Jesus, we have a great inheritance. And so when Jesus came, history was changed forever. When Jesus came, everything was changed. But when you also come to Christ, that day, that moment you come to him, everything in your life is going to be different. That when you base the entirety of your life upon him, that's going to be the radical turning point in your life from now on. From the moment that a person, from that moment, a person is now in Christ and within one another, adopted by God. Paul, I love the Apostle Paul's language on this. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. That you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. What this means is that before we came to Christ, everything that we did was defiled. It was polluted by sin. Even our righteous acts are as filthy rags. And we are unable to come before God because they are polluted by sin. But Ephesians, and if you're actually noticing this about Haggai, there's a lot of allusions to Ephesians that we are God's temple. But to jump ahead... Actually, it's like 10 verses before that. Before even Haggai brings up how Christ is our cornerstone, or Ephesians brings up Christ is our cornerstone, friends, you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship created for Christ Jesus for what purpose? To do good works. That before Christ, those are as filthy rags, but because of Christ, they're actually good and contribute and, pl and pleasing to God. And so by grace, we have been saved and we are enabled to do genuinely good works. And it's all because Jesus, 
Jesus changes everything. And Jesus is meant to be the foundation for our life. And so where this ends is actually a question. Is Jesus Christ truly good? Is truly Jesus Christ able to be depended on? And I want to end with this story. Perhaps you know it. It's a pretty popular story. It's a true story of Corey Ten Boom. She was a Dutch woman whose family hid and protected Jews from the Nazis. Her father, um, they were, uh, the whole family, uh, she, her elderly father, and her sister, they were arrested as they were hiding Jews in their house. And as they were arrested, her father later died in prison. Her sister died in one of the concentration camps. So here's Corey, and she is no stranger to suffering. She lost her loved ones, and she herself endured living within a camp. And she, she survived, and she wrote this in her book, The Hiding Place. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And with Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains, and the very best is yet to be. You are, friends, you are able to rely on Jesus Christ. You are able to take him at his word because of who he is. He is God. He is also the one who pursues you. He is your redeemer. He, has, he upholds everything in the palm of his hands. He has spent his life in pursuit of you. And so when you build your life upon Jesus Christ, you are actually building your life upon the foundation of a love that pursued you. So to answer the question, is Jesus able to be relied on and to be depended on? The answer is yes. And that is our Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful, good word that you have given us. And Father, we pray that you give us the grace to see the ways that we build our life on the wrong things, on the wrong foundation. How we center our life, not around you, but around any, how we even center our life upon good things, just in their wrong place. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to see that. Give us the grace to, to confess that and repent of those things to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to center our lives on you, to build our lives upon you, because you are, are our God, you are our Redeemer, and we pray that we would see your blessings in our lives because you have come to make your blessings known as far as the curse is found. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.